0: Chapter and the thought or theme that I would have today. If you're taking notes, there, I don't have three points in a, a poem. I have about six things I'd like to highlight that the Lord has brought to my attention this week for this house. I've never shared this particular word before, and the thought or the theme is simply entitled The Rest, the Rest of Your Life. The rest of your life. The Bible is one of the most in interesting and incredible reads. It's better than it's better than bones, it's better than 24, it's better than person of interest, it's better than blue blood. I mean the Bible is a, a major drama. Uh, things happen, thinking things, things taking place. It's got blood, it's got gore, it's got gladiators, it's got a princess, it's got a king, it's got prophets. it really is. An amazing book. And sometimes it's fun to just sit and just read several pages in the Old Testament. Because there are so many things that stack on each other. And what is so ironic, the Bible makes no attempt to prove the statements it makes. It simply makes the statement. And if you're not careful, you can get so overwhelmed by one statement that you will miss the next statement. But I think to everything, there is an ocarry. There's an end of the matter. Look at some say, there's a finish. But in order for there to be a finish, there has to be a beginning. He's not just the finisher of our faith, but he is the author of our faith. And I believe this word this morning will encourage several. It certainly encouraged me. And I was simply uh, having fun uh, about two weeks ago. I really wanted to share this Easter. and, And, of course, it was Easter, so obviously we went in the Easter theme and Poor Jesus, we've raised him from the tomb 24 different times, 24 years in a row. We can't, we've we've had him come from the ceiling, we've had him come from the cave, we've had him sitting on a throne, we've had, I I know he must get tired of all those, but uh, it was a great day, Easter was a great drama, several great testimonies, great song, great thought, great theme, and the good news is, he is risen. He's risen indeed, and that is the gospel that they found the body of Mary, they found the body of David, they found the body of Lazarus, but they can't find the body of Jesus because if they could find it, they would have, and they would have told the world, but you can't find him in a grave because he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, making intercession right now for us and not allowing the accuser of the brethren to make random comments against us before God. He is representing us, and we thank God for that mediator, for that intercessor, for that, for that mediation. But just randomly reading uh, two weeks ago, I came across a, a statement. It was just a, To me, it was just a cool statement, and I want to share it with you. It's found in 1 Samuel 7 and verse 15. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. I have several people very close to me that were in full-time ministry that are now retired, and they actually do more for the kingdom of God now than they did when they were younger. Rhonda's dad is a perfect example that, that the years of leadership at one time Rhonda's dad was over the entire youth ministry of the Church of God worldwide, not just, not just in Tennessee, but worldwide. He's been a state overseer, youth director of several states, and, and, and literally lived his whole life for, for, the, for the kingdom. Uh, when he came to Cleveland and went into a semi-retirement, he went to work for North Cleveland. He visits all the newcomers. He visits the shut-ins, uh, the convalescent ministry very much involved well, when North Cleveland, I'm just going to tell it like it is. Is that okay? When North Cleveland spent a chunk of change to build their new sanctuary, they had to cut some staff to, 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 to raise some money, and Rhonda's dad got cut. You know what he did? Nothing different. He kept going to the hospitals. He kept going to the newcomers. The business, and he's still today doing what he was, used to be paid for, but he's doing now. I don't believe that real men and women of God retire. I don't. I don't believe that. I don't. You know, we may get voted out, or we may get put on a shelf. We may be. But I really don't think that when your heart is focused on the things of God, I don't think that you're ever going to shut down and just take and take a take a sabbatical, take a sea law until you until you die. My dad, many of you know, has an earned doctorate. You would never know it. He does not call himself Doctor Davis, but he has an earned theological doctorate. And Dad spends three to four hours a day studying the book of revelation he and my brother my brother is my brother should have been an engineer intellectually he's very smart he's very intelligent uh my brother and my dad will get into conversations and after about three minutes i'm done i'm done i i mean they will layer upon layer of babylon and they will layer all these kingdoms and the second coming of christ and the antichrist and the mark of the beast and they will go through ezekiel 33 gog and magog and like after about four minutes, I'm headed to the refrigerator to get some iced tea to go outside to fish on the deck because they have lost me. But I think that's what happens when you love the word and you love the things of God. And if you're around daddy, he's also very practical. He doesn't always get real deep unless you want to get deep and he'll, 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 um, he'll, 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 he'll spark with you a little bit. But I, I really don't think that when you're called of God and you're focused on the things of God, I don't think you ever shut that down. I don't think that ever. I think there's always something on the inside of you. That wants to give back once you've been blessed, once you've received, you want to give back. We were watching the uh, some some heavy hitters came together in Atlanta, seeker-friendly churches that probably run three to four thousand uh, at, at the minimum. Jensen preached one of the 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 thoughts there, but I heard I heard a guy last night, and what was so ironic when I went to Las Vegas, all the cousins went to Las Vegas, and I was the designated driver. I drove the Hummer, I drove the bass boat, I drove the Mercedes because. All of my cousins were pretty much all smashed and ripped, and I was the designated driver. And I enjoyed it. I got to witness, I got to share, I got to be a blessing. And I took three or four of my cousins to a church in Vegas, and I came back and and to share with you a little bit about the church. The church where it's okay not to be okay. Don't you love that? The church was okay not to be okay. And I actually preached the pastor's sermon, How to Survive an Anaconda Attack. I remember that particular. Word that we had a lot of fun with. Well, ironically, he was one of the keynote speakers at this major conference in Atlanta. So I sat for a few minutes last night and just listened, listened to some of the things. Obviously, passing in Las Vegas. I would think would be different from Cleveland, Tennessee, but telling the stories he told, it's no different at all. This city is just as lost as Las Vegas and has some of the wildest, craziest drama, hello, of, of any city I've been in. Can anybody relate to what Pastor Hank is saying today? But he was just sharing last night about how, how ministry is messy. The events of, of people's lives are messy. There are messy things that happen in, 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 in life. But aren't you glad that Jesus can take a mess and turn it into a message? Aren't you glad that he can take our broken pieces and put them together and give us a testimony that will change the heart and lives of others? I think two things we fail to realize, the importance of worship and the importance of our testimony. Because what will happen in a lot of testimonies, and especially with Weight Watchers, when you have some uh, who was the uh, Dan Marino when you have Dan Reno go on Weight Watcher and he's looking fit and trim and Steve looking really nice and they show the before picture, how many hates the before pictures? I hate the before pictures. You know, Pastor Rhonda said, You got to see this. You got to see this. So when she says that, I usually shut down everything I'm doing, which is rarely not very important. And I see what she wants me to see. And it was like the Kathy Gifford, Kathy, whatever her name is, the makeover. And she said, You got to see. This makeover. And I thought, you know, okay, I'm gonna sit and watch the makeover. And this plain Jane came out and, and she was kind of kind of kind of pitiful looking and looked, you know, a little homey and a little 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 just to be honest with you, she was like dead dog ugly. I mean she was he was <laughs> ugly. And so they bring the daughter, they got the things on the daughter's eyes, and they bring this girl out. And if I didn't know any better, I would say they would lie. That's not the same girl, that's not But when she talked, it was the same girl. But you know what I like best about the makeover is when they look at the mirror for the first time and see the makeover, and I'm so glad that you can see the reflection of the cross and you can see where God brought you from to where you're headed, to where you've been, to where you're going, and today is a lot better than yesterday. Aren't you glad that he has the ability to do that? To look at the life of Samuel, and and several years, several several months ago, I, I did a lesson on the circle maker. We we actually came and followed up and went several weeks about. And you all know the story about honing. You all know the story about God walking the circuit of heaven. All the all the stories, the hedge of thorns, all the circles that are mentioned in the Bible. But I brought to your attention a truth that the ministry of Samuel. If you're if you're still at, at Samuel 7:15, notice if you will, verse 16, and we find. A, um, this actually became the theme of a book that my one of my younger cousins, is pastor of Vineyard Church in Arizona, encouraged me to get. It's called *The Power of Habit*, and th- that book is taken actually from the theme of what I'm about to share. If you'll notice, verse 16, and he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and judge Israel in all those places, and his return was to Ramah, for there was his house, and there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. And so we, this, we see the steps of a righteous man that are ordered by the Lord, but we see, a, we see a routine here. We see a habit here. You know, in England, they have tea breaks. In America, they have cigarette breaks. But David said in Psalm 119, he said, Seven times a day do I praise thee. David had Praise breaks. Don't you, don't you love that, that when you get into the consistency of getting up in the morning, praising and worshiping God, doing your votions, praying throughout the day, evening, weeks filled of Bible study and things like that, it's a good thing to be on a circuit. It's a good thing. You might call it a rut, but, but let me tell you something. Once you ever get out of the, the, the habit of tithing, it's tough to get back in. Once you get out of the habit of coming to church on Wednesday night, it's tough. Getting, am I talking to anybody out there? That's just me. Once you get out of the habit of, of, of going to church on Sunday morning, it's tough to get back in. But there's a reason why we consistently do things over and over again. I believe God honors it and I believe that God blesses it. But the reason that Samuel went to these four places is because at every place there was a different event in his life. And Brian, if you'll notice the word Bethel, at Bethel was the place where Jacob got a rock, lay down, took a nap, saw a ladder leading into heaven, saw angels coming up and down that ladder, and that's where Robert Plant and Jimmy Page got the theme of, of a stairway to heaven, Led Zeppelin, that, that there's a there's a there's a there's a place that, that enters into heaven. And there really is a place. And at that place, Jacob called it Bethel. Then Bethel means the place of Prayer, a place where you commune with God, a place where you touch God. And Samuel found it important in his life that he had moments where he would pray and he would call upon the Lord and the Lord would speak back to him. And I, I cannot reiter- reiterate to us today how important prayer is as a young Christian, an old Christian, or a Christian who has been serving the Lord a long, long time, the importance of praying. When they asked Billy Graham if you were to do anything different, you know, the first thing he said, he said, I would have prayed more. I would have prayed more. I went and finished the floors in, in uh, Angel and Courtney's house, and they were all hardwood, and uh, I sanded some of them, and, and then I went to stain them. And, and it, was, it was three rather large rooms, and, and uh, it, it took most of the day to stain them, and I got up from there as pleased with what I did. And then the next day I went, to, uh, I went to put my pants on, and I noticed on both knees was a big old blister. So, I went around telling people the past three or four days that I had been on my knees in prayer, and I actually had blisters on my knees from praying so much. Hello, if you don't toot your own horn, ain't nobody else going to. Ain't nobody else going to do But it's, it's important, not, not to get blisters from prayer, but it's important that every morning, I have a special place every morning. I throw up my window. And like now, at this particular time of life, now almost every day, like today, something new bloomed. There was an iris, it was purple and white. And it was magnificent. It was, it, was, it was phenomenal. And so this morning I did my, my meditation. I did my devotion looking at a new flower that blooms. It's important that early in the morning David said, Well, I seek thee, and you'll deliver me, and hear, hear me, and put me on a rock. So obviously prayer was important in the life of Samuel. The second place he went to was a place called Gilgal. And Gilgal is the place where Abraham was confronted by God, and God went into covenant with Abraham. When Angel and Courtney got married, one of our discussions was the power of the covenant. And what happens in covenant is that all of Angel's enemies are now Courtney's enemies, all of Angel's friends are now Courtney's friends, all of Angel's stuff is now Courtney's stuff, all of Courtney's stuff is still Courtney's stuff because that's, that that's the way that girls roll. But all of his money is now her money. Watch this: all of his strengths are now her strengths, and all of his weaknesses are now, here Weaknesses. says. that's what the covenant is all about. And in order to enter into covenant, there has to be blood shed. And at the cross of Calvary, when Jesus shed his blood, like Master Charge, he paid for all the miracles of the Old Testament. And like Visa, he paid for all the miracles that you and I get to encounter every single day. Does that bless anybody in this house today? The third place that Samuel went to once a year was a place called Mizpah. Mispa was the place of restoration. Jacob actually found someone sneakier than him. It was his uncle Laban. Laban was a crook. Laban was a punk. He changed Jacob's wages seven times. He cheated, he cheated Jacob several times. And, and, and when they left, Jacob's wife, Laban's daughter, tricked her dad, and took the heirlooms, and you all know the story. But anyway, to make a long story short, when they got ready to leave, Laban said, I am not going to let you leave in this mindset. I'm not going to let you leave with hurt or with pain, but I want to seek restoration. When Ron and I were dating, uh, we had a necklace. It was was actually a necklace cut in half. How many ever had a Miss Paul? You ever had a – and I think it says the Lord be with you while we're apart, one from another. We put the two pieces together, and we thought that was so cool. I don't know who thought that up, but I'm sure they made a million dollars. Yeah. But the place of mistball means the place of restoration. That's where old things are passed away. All things are become new. That's where that, that, that caterpillar bursts out of that cocoon and becomes a beautiful butterfly. That's where that, that oyster is open and that pearl is revealed. He said, I will restore years that you've lost. I think one of the joys about being a a grandparent is if you weren't a very good parent or there are events of your life that did not allow you to spend quality time with your kids. And there, there are people that know what I'm talking about, and there's certainly in this city, there's people that can relate to the fact that they really weren't good parents for their children and they went through all kinds of hurt all kinds of pain as a grandparent what the joy is now you get to do it all over again only this time you love them you bless them and then when you're done with them you take them home i mean what how how could it get any better than that but he said i will restore years that the enemy has stolen I'll, I'll i'll restore the broken places and so when you fellowship with god know that god is not just a god Of answered prayer, but God is a God of restoration. He loves doing stuff like that. And then the last place that um, Samuel went to was Ramah, which was his home. And there was a place that he built an altar, And, and there, 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 I like to think was a place of worship. As I shared with you Wednesday night, this pulpit was made to hold my notes. This microphone was made to project my voice. I was made to create to pray. I was created to praise the Lord. That's my primary function. There's other things I do. It's like a. It's like a. It's like any any tool you buy from Skill or from Pennies. If you break it, they take it back. They still do that, Steve. If you break. and I know people that's taken a drill bit and used it as a hammer. Hello, take. Is, is Steve, See, she's pointing at Steve. There's all kinds of things I've used as a hammer. I mean, it's scary sometimes how we will abuse tools and, and how. We will misplace tools. But I like to think that, that there is a season in our life that as we begin to worship God and as we begin to praise God, God connects with us. And God does not necessarily come to where we're at, but God takes us to where he is at. Is that exciting for anybody in this place this morning that God will take us to where he's at? So when I look at those, when I look at those four places in, in Samuel's life, it gives me a pattern it gives me a it gives me a guideline it gives me an itinerary it gives me it lets me know there's four areas of my life that God wants to co- consistently visit that's what the circles all about and that's why once a year he went to all four places, that there needs to be a season of prayer. You know, the Bible says the latter rain shall be great in the former rain. The Bible says that your unanswered prayers will be answered. Does that excite anybody today that has some prayers that really need to be answered? He's also a God of, of covenant, that everything, and, and you've heard me say it for years and years, all I have belongs to God. That sounds so sacrificial, but all God has belongs to me. The cattle of a thousand hills, a thousand hills, the gold buried beneath all all, all that God's assets are now my assets. And what a powerful truth. And then when I think about restoration, I'm getting ready to celebrate 30 years. Month of May, right? May 15th. I remembered. May 15th. That is our second anniversary that we will celebrate 30 years of a restored marriage. I've been clean 35 years. It's still precious to me. It's still... It's still awesome to me that God came in my cocaine addiction and all this stuff that I was messed with, and God miraculously delivered me with, no, with no, no side effects. No, I didn't have to take Suboxone, I didn't have to take methadone. One day I was a drug addict, the next day I was a child of God, and the next day after I was seeking God. And a few days later, God had called me to ministry. A few months later, I took off, and I haven't stopped since. He is the God of restoration. Go ahead, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And today, you know, I was, I was watching today, most of you know, that I flipped a four-wheeler 15 years ago, and I don't have an L4 and L5. It's crushed like a, like a, like a Coke can. The, the, the nerve is right on the spinal cord, and, and, and uh, they actually said I would never walk again. Well, you know, we appreciate doctors, but they don't always get it what, the way that God has it, if you can relate, but it, but it does. My back bothers me if I stand very long at all. I if, if I, I just sometimes my back just refused to be a back and I lay down and just let it rest and let it recover And so I noticed today in the worship I had to sit down and let my back rest a little bit because I wrote a lawnmower about eight hours yesterday and i was sitting there thinking I said, you know what? I can worship God just as well sitting down as I can standing up. I can worship God just laying down as jumping up. There's no certain way you've got to do it. There's no certain method that you've got to fit in. The importance is is that you make some kind of conscious effort to worship and to praise God because he is the God that dwells in the praises of his people. And I believe he is here this morning with us. As we look, if you'll go back with me to Judges, the first chapter, I'm sorry, Samuel, the first chapter. I was visiting with Pastor Rhonda last night, and I mentioned where I was going this morning. And I mentioned Hannah, and she said, there's 60 minutes right there just (laughs) in the life of Hannah. But there's a guy by Elkanai, that has two wives, which is scary. (laughs) He has a wife by the name of Peniel that has some children, made him a father, and it is Hannah who he obviously loves more than Peniel. And the Bible actually says that. he loves her, He loves one wife more than the other. And Hannah lived in a generation that believed, and it was inaccurate, but it believed that if you didn't have children, if you were barren, you were cursed, that there was something wrong with you. And it was reproach. And Hannah really wanted a child. Hannah really wanted a baby. They're getting ready to to make a visit to the house of God once a year. They're going to worship, take a sacrifice and worship. And as they get ready to prepare for their journey, Hannah does not eat. She doesn't put her mascara on. She doesn't do her nails. And she looks sad. I want to bring attention, if I may. I believe the first point that I want to bring this morning is to verse 8. First Samuel, first chapter, verse 8. So Hannah rose up after they'd eaten Shiloh and after they had drunk. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, right, verse 8. Then said Elkanai, her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? And also, when I read that, there was something that just leapt out in me, and it said this, Don't settle for less. Don't settle for less. Here's a husband that loves her with all of his heart, thinking he's doing the right thing knowing she wants a child knowing all the mental stress everything that she's going through and he and he asked this he asked her Hannah am i not better than 10 sons but when you have in your heart of heart a direction or a purpose or a vision or a destiny you cannot compromise and be settled and settle with something that's not what god wants you to have sometimes we will settle for good when God wants us to have best. And sometimes we'll settle for best when God wants us to have better. Sometimes we, will, sometimes we will give up on our vision, we'll give up on our dream, we'll give up on our pursuit because we just assume that we're disqual- disqualified from the decisions that we've made or that God has mad at us. As many of you know, I'm communicating on Facebook with two full-blown atheists. One has a double doctorate. And uh, it's scary how intelligent they are. And, it's, and it's, scary how, it's scary how knowledgeable they are. And it's scary how they explain away some of the miracles of the Bible. And, and I'm not, I've not traded cheap shots with them on Facebook. I've not gone into any theology. But I'm simply letting them know that I'm praying for them. They lost a child very young in life. Their son's been incarcerated for all the wrong reasons. Uh, he has, he's got, got sugar diabetes and had some amputations. And after 16 years of bad things, he just determined there wasn't a God. And all I know is, all I know to do is just to pray for him and let him know that there is a God. Right. Does that help anybody in this, in this place? Just let them know that I can't, I'm not smarter than him. I can't trade, I can't trade in intellectual thought. Steve, you might be able to, but I'm, I'm just not, I'm just not I'm, not, I'm not geared that way. There's just some, I am reading a book right now uh, that has to do with questions that atheists ask. And I'm reading, I'm researching, because I really want to be a blessing to him. And I want to really be, uh, able to touch him and to, and to help him turn towards the God that he does not believe in, the, the heaven that he does not believe in, the, 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 the worship that he's never experienced. And what was so ironic, we connected because we both graduated from the same Christian high school in Southern California. Him four years later than, than me, I went on to, onto our website, got plugged into the, my, my, my homecoming, all of that, and connected with him. And I believe that God has put me there to be a light in a dark place to be used in a special way. I guess, but, but I guess the point that I want to make in all of that, never settle for someone else's thought, someone else's theory, when God has given you a thought or theory on your own that he wants you to explore. Can someone say amen with me in the house? So, so here's, here's what happens. He tries to bribe her. He tries to deter her. But she has got a made-up mind. Look at somebody and say, a made-up mind. I'm made up if you'll notice, notice verse 15, and I'll, I'll set this up for you. Hannah goes to the house of God. The Bible says she's bitter, she's hurt, she's wounded, can't have kids, loves her husband, wants to have kids. The, the other wife is constantly harassing her, browbeating her, putting her down, making fun of her. I've got kids, you don't. Anybody ever, can you ever relate to that? Somebody else is trying to make you feel better because they got something that you don't have, <laughs> whatever. So she goes to the altar. She prays and prays and prays. It's not the first time she's come. She prays and prays. And finally, Christina says that, that she is, she is, her mouth is moving, but, but she's not, she, there's no words coming out. She's praying in her heart, praying in her mind. Her mouth is moving, but there's no sound. Here's the priest, Eli, sitting watching her, and he confronts her. He thinks she's drunk. He confronts her and tells her, you need to put your wine away. You need to stop drinking. And notice, if you will, her, her attitude in verse 15. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thy handmaiden for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Look at somebody and say, Not only are we not to settle for less, but don't count me out. Don't count me out. I did not know what a daughter of Belial was. But when the man of God confronts her, she says, don't, 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 don't count me for a daughter of Belial. So I had to research Belial. And what happens in Judges 19, there is a priest and his concubine that is journeying through, through the tribe of Benjamin. They, they get out rather late. They have no place to stay. They find a place to stay, and the same thing that happens at Sodom and Gomorrah happens to this host. The, the 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 men of the sons of Belial demand that this young man comes out so they can have their way with him. But instead of, instead of confronting that, he sends his concubine concubine out and they molest her all night until she dies. He wakes up in the morning, her body is laying on the threshold, and he takes a saw and he cuts her into 12 pieces, and he sends a piece of her to each tribe of Israel, demanding vengeance. How many of the did not know this story was in the Bible? You did not know this story was in the Bible. And so he demands vengeance where the sons of Israel come together and they decide the sons of Belial have to pay for what they've done. So the sons of Belial are in Benjamin. They go to the tribe of Benjamin and said, hey, you've got some guys here. They've molested, they've wounded, they've murdered, they need to be judged, they need to be dealt with. The sons of Benjamin refused to give them up and it it launched a major civil war. And I lost count, but after 80,000 lives were lost, the sons of Belial were finally judged and punished for their crime and punished for their sin. And so that term, son of Belial, became like a slang for worthless person. I didn't know that. But as I begin to research and study, here's what she's saying. Don't count me as a worthless person. In other words, don't take my past, don't take my mistakes, don't take my failures. Don't take all the mess that I've made in my life. Don't judge me for what I did then, because this is where I'm at now. I'm hungry for God. I'm pursuing God. I'm I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm seeking the Lord. I want God to do something for me. And what is so what is so crazy is that Keith, the, the man of God, says, I mean, just just bam, just like that, he looks at her and says, The petition that you've asked of the Lord, you will have. I mean, I mean How cool. Just the word of the Lord flows out of him. He doesn't know a whole lot about her. Doesn't know what she's going through. But he simply speaks. And what is so funny, she does not tell him what she needs. He just says, whatever you've asked of God is going to come to pass. And thank God for a word of knowledge, a word of prophecy that God follows up on and fulfills. Can anybody say amen in the building? Write those words down. Keep those words closed. Write the vision down, the Bible says, because it will come to pass. Not only... Are we not supposed to settle for less? And not only are we not supposed to be counted out, but I want you to notice verse 22. In this window of of eight verses, she goes home, she gets pregnant, she has a boy, and she names him Asked of the Lord, Samuel. That's what the the name Samuel means, Asked of the Lord. I asked God something, and he gave it to me. It's time to, go to the, it's time to go to the temple. She tells him, I'm not going to go. I'm going to wean this baby. So obviously in that, in that nine-month window, she got pregnant. She has a baby boy. She says, I'm going to wean him. And then it was verse, verse 22. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. Parents. Parents. It's important what you speak over your children when they're small. That was weak. Parents, it's important that you be careful what you speak over their children when they're small. I know when, when Courtney and Christine were both born, born, the church was the apple of our eye, it was our focus, it was our mindset. Our kids literally grew up in this building. Our kids literally grew up, and all the singing, all the dancing, there were, they're, they're both social butterflies. There were times when I had to threaten Courtney to take her home because she didn't want to go. We had the daycare. We had this. We had that. We had a public school. We had a, we had a private school. We had all of that. There were one or two windows in life she wanted to get a job, but I wouldn't let her get a job working on Sundays. I just felt like there's jobs out there that she can get. She doesn't have to give up that day. And you know what? The Lord blessed that. She worked all the way through daycare. She did I don't think she ever worked I s I don't think you ever worked a Sunday in your life. And that was the way that we raised him up. But when 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 Courtney was two days old, I was talking with somebody yesterday about when Courtney was two days old, it was determined that she had heart disease and she had to have open heart surgery. And the, and the nurse came to get her. And I told the nurse, I'm not giving this baby to you. I'm giving this baby back to God. And I felt like what, what Hannah felt, this child does not belong to me, but it belongs to God. And this child is going to serve the Lord forever and forever, all the days of her life. And sure enough, the Bible says that Samuel judged Israel all the days of, her, of his life. And exactly what he, what, exactly what Hannah spoke over Samuel, it came to pass. I believe it's important that we remember the words we spoke over our children and we reiterate them. It may seem like our children are as far as east is from the west, but I promise you, they're going to come home. They're going to return. The prodigals are going to return. And it's important who you let your kids hang out with. I thought about this. You know, Courtney grew up with kids in the church and and they, we, we went on vacation together. We did youth camp together. Went jet skiing together. That she had that plethora of, of, of godly friends. I remember... I'm not exactly sure how old she was. Pastor Ronda might help me. I think she was t- 10 or 12. And Pastor Ron and I, we had to go to Hawaii for a missions trip there at Waikiki. And um, we left Courtney with, I believe, her, Pastor Rhonda's parents. And so um, we made a phone call. We was checking in. And one of the families in the church, uh, they wanted to take Courtney with them to see, um, was it Austin Powers? Is that right? Is that what it was? And so they wanted. I, I think she's like ten or twelve years old. I've never seen the movie *Awesome Powers*. I don't intend to wait waste an hour and thirty minutes of my life watching something like that. And I said no. I said I said no. She can't go. She can't go. They're going to come pick her up. Take. Am I telling the story right? They're going to take her and they were going to, they were going to, and I said, no, I said, I said, I don't want that junk in my 12 year old girls. I don't want that. And, and, and that's, that's the, the, the power of a parent is trying to keep their children surrounded with good things. Lots of things are true, lovely, pure. Let me be very, very careful what I say right now. That family has since went through a horrible divorce. They're both remarried. The, the youngest son of that family is on drugs. And the girl that Courtney was her friend that they were going to go to the movie with together is a lesbian. You said, Pastor, you think those parents taking that family to see that movie did all that? I said, no, but it's a process. Well, you're quiet on me this morning. It's a process of making good decisions. You see, God showed me a long time ago, I'm not her pal. I'm her parent. A lot of parents want to be pals with their kids, and they want to hang out, and they want to be cool, and they want to be this, and want to be... God did not call me to be her pal. God called me to be her mentor, her father, her pastor, her spiritual authority. And if I ever drop the ball, it opens the door for the enemy to come in and try to separate and destroy and divide. Do I have a friend in the house? Verse 22, the point I wanted to make there is that on the altar, barren... Thinking that she was cursed, she made a deal with God. You let me get pregnant, I'll give this baby to you. Verse 22, the very promise she made, Steve, she kept. She gave the baby to God. As we look through the Bible, there are several kids that were given to God that lost their mom. We know that Moses was taken from his mother and placed in a basket. We know that Joseph was taken from his family and placed in a pit. We know that Jacob left his, his, his brother in, in disarray and found himself in the wilderness. And then we look at Samson that was a gift of God that was raised up to be a prophet. And then I got to thinking the other day, do you realize that when Abraham took Isaac up into the mountain to be sacrificed, do you know in that window it took to make the journey and come back, did you know that Sarah died? Did you know that Isaac never saw his mom again? What are you saying, Pastor? I said, well, I'm not saying anything. It's important to have a mom in your life, but sometimes there are sacrifices that are made to push you towards the things of God, and if you're not careful, you'll look at some of the pains and some of the wounds to disqualify yourself and tell yourself, I'm not good enough, God has banned me, God has, no, the, the, the attitude is keep the vow you made. You made a vow to God, when it comes in, pay your portion, give back to God what he's given to you, and God will allow your son to minister before him the rest of the days of his life. Can you give a Lord, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I love, I love, I love uh, verse 28. We, have, we had a friend, a dear friend, that uh, we were, how do I say this carefully? We were from the same place in California. He was a helicopter pilot cop. I was very much involved in law enforcement. One thing led to another. They hadn't been to church in 20-some-odd years. I stopped a little restaurant in Calhoun, and uh, told him that we were going to—I believe we we're going to—we was in Rome, going to Calhoun for a revival. anyway. Long story short, they came to hear me. They got saved. The whole family got saved. All the kids got saved. All the employees got saved. Everything, everything started turning around in his life. And he sowed a thousand dollars in the kingdom. Just a few days or weeks later, he called back and said, "You're not going to believe this. I just received some kind of bonus. Something the two." Fast food restaurants he owns, there was a bonus attached, and he got $10,000. And so, Steve, I got excited with him. I mean, it was all fun. I got excited with him. And I said, just think, Kelly, what God's going to do when you sow that (laughs) $10,000. Whoa, 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 whoa. Went from $1,000 a week to $1,000 a day. Called the pastor, I preached several revivals there. Ronald's preached for him since, several revivals there. And I called him and said, how is so-and-so doing? I said, oh, they're doing great, little, little challenge. I said, you know, I was an evangelist, I really wasn't a pastor. A lot of things, it was not my place to be involved. But he let me know, said, hey, they're, uh, they're supporting the church, they're tithing, their ministry, their, their business is out of the doors, but they're not really tithing to reflect their income. So, you know, the mouth that I was, I called him, went to see him, and said, hey, what, tell me what's going on. I said, I said, you went from $1,000 a week to $1,000. And he did, literally, 1000 And they're retired now. They've been retired for 15 years that I know of, doing very well, enjoying the grandkids. And I said, you went from $1,000 a week to $1,000 a day, but you can't afford to tithe on the $1,000. He said, man, I could, I could afford $1,000 a week, but I can't afford $1,000 a day. And I said, okay, I'm going to pray that God would take the business back to $1,000 a week, because you had no, no problem tithing then, and that way we'll stay focused. Oh, no, no, don't pray that, don't pray that. I'll start tithing on a, and, and within just a few months turn bought the second place, the second business. I'm telling you, watch him, God bless him, favor and favor and favor. When you make a vow to God, in verse 28, notice verse 28. When you make a vow to God, notice what you do. You heard it said, he that lendeth to the poor lendeth to the Lord. There's another aspect of that. Therefore also I have lent him, let me verse 27. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I ask of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And he worshiped the Lord there. What a, what a, just, just, a, just, a re, just a reality check. You know, we sing that song, I give my houses and my land, change my dreams and my plans for placing my whole life in your hands. And if you call me today to a land far away, Lord, I'll go and your will obey. Foot. Look at somebody and say, Foot. We gonna go to Ethiopia or, or Zimbabwe or, you know, I mean, we are not gonna give our houses. We're not gonna give our it's it's a great song. I mean, it's got a great whatever it takes to be more like you, it would be scary if God visited us like he visited the rich man and says, sell what you have and give it to the poor. How scary would that be? But here's what happens. When you make a commitment to ministry, make a commitment in your tithe and offering, you're lending to the Lord. And when you lend to the Lord, can I tell you what she got back? Can I tell you, Janice, what she, Janice, would you like to know what she got back? She got five more kids. Look at someone and say, five. It wasn't that she was barren, but there was a vow that needed to be made. There was a statement that needed to be declared. There, there was an action that needed to be formed. She had to get out of the boat to see the supernatural power of God. She had to stir up those things on the inside of her. She had to pray that prayer without words coming out of her mouth. But her mind's praying. Her heart's praying. There had to be a connection with the man of God. All that had to take place. And then God gave her five more kids. How cool is that? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And I believe... I'm not really done, but I, I believe I'm done. Can I do like? I only had like four more points, but let's do this. Let's let's just do. Let's go to First Samuel three. Yeah, I, I can. I can. I can. I'll conclude with this thought. Okay, here's what happens. He moves in with the priest. The priests have two sons that are completely godless. They're just not saved. They're godless. They're messing around fornication. They're messing around stealing the, the, the God's cut of the sacrifice. And so every year, Samuel's mom would come and bring him a coat. Every year, he, he would grow. She'd bring a coat to fit him. And the word said that he wore the linen of the ephod, which is what Christ was buried in, was the ephod. And so here's this child. this child. He's growing. Okay, one night the kid goes to sleep, and and God calls his name, Samuel. Thinking it's Eli, he goes in, checks on Eli. Let me make sure I'm going in the direction I want to go. He has a good direction. And so, and so he wakes Eli up. Eli, Eli's a little older. And Eli said, What? He said, Well, you call me. He said, Don't call you. So he went, lay back down. God, Samuel, call him again. Second time. And so he goes and what? And Eli said, I didn't call you. And then all of a sudden, Eli realizes, this must be God. Listen, next time you hear your voice, just say, speak, Lord. Your servant listens. Lay back down. God called him. Samuel says, speak, Lord. Your servant listens. And then, this is, this is real tough for me, Tish, because God tells Samuel a real tough word about his spiritual father's sons. Tough tough word. His sons are out of order. And so God tells Samuel to tell Eli, if you don't get your house in order, your name is going to be cut off and your seed will not enjoy the sacrifice and blessings of the Lord. Samuel goes to bed, gets up in the morning, opens up the doors of the Lord, kind of hides from Eli. Eli calls him and says, tell me, he says, tell me exactly, don't leave anything out. Tell me everything that, that the Lord told you. And so Samuel reluctantly told him, said, if you don't get your house in order, you're going to be cut off and you won't have any inheritance in the, in the house of God. And so Eli says, well, this must be a good word because it came from the Lord, received the word, but did absolutely nothing to turn the lives of his kids around. Hezekiah was the same way. This must be a good word from the Lord. But if you if you read the story, and I'll, I'll rush the story if, if we can. They go to war. The two sons of Eli take the Ark of the Covenant to battle. The Ark of the Covenant gets captured. The sons of Eli get murdered in battle. And Eli, how many has heard the song Humpty Dumpty? This is where that song came from. Eli was sitting on the wall outside the temple. He heard a great turmoil, and he asked and said, What's going on? What's, what's, what's going on? And, they, and when they told him, the ark, has been, the ark has been captured and your sons have been murdered, the Bible said he was obese and he fell. What, what was so funny, I don't know if you should put that there. No, let's not put that in there. What was so, what, he, he was so obese that when he fell off the wall, he broke his neck. Sit, look at them and say, he died. Humpty Dumpty, sat on a wall. Watch this, I'll conclude with this. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty to debt together again. The king's horse the king's men, but guess who could have? The king. Yeah, the king. If, if, if Eli would have submitted to the words of Samuel, take him, take him out of ministry. Take them completely away from minute. Put them sabbatical. Put them in, a, put them in a, a restoration scene. Put them in a discipline. Put them in a crazy. But do something. Do something as God's word begins to. I mean, how many times have you ever heard someone say, God called my name three times and spoke to me audibly? That doesn't happen a lot. It didn't happen a lot in the Word of God. Very few times was there an audible visitation from God. And, and even rarer now as we're on this side, very very rare do we see issues that God speaks to us through this Word. Notice, if you will, what verse do we say? 3 and 19. Verse 18, Samuel told him every, everything and nothing from him. And he said, it's the Lord. Let him do to what seemeth him good. Well, Again, it wasn't a good word. Eli could have turned around. He did not. But notice verse 19. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. A man of integrity, a man that did what he said he was going to do. The Bible says a little later, another point, that there was no clear vision in those days. And the word of the Lord was precious. The word of the Lord was precious. Let me just conclude today, if you feel like there's no open vision, there's no clear direction, what you're looking for, I believe you will find in the Word of God. And, the, and the, 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 the honor that I want to honor Samuel with today, it said that not one of his words fell to the ground. Every word was powerful. He followed up everything he spoke, and God honored what he had to say. Father, we thank you for this season together. We thank you for these points. We thank you for Hannah.